quite some time. And I just want to talk to you for a few minutes tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4. By the way, please remember to pray for Pastor Gary and Sister Dornbach. They're away at General Conference. And, uh, and they also need to get away as well and to be refreshed. I know he's got lots of meetings there. But let's just pray and pray a prayer of of covering over him uh, that he will be able to be to be rested up in the spirit. First Corinthians thirteen and verse four says, "Charity suffers long and is kind. Charity envies not. Charity vaunteth not itself; is not puffed up; does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own; is not easily provoked; thinks no evil." Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I want to talk to you for a few minutes tonight on conflict resolution in the church. Conflict resolution in the church. Wouldn't it be great if there were never any conflicts in families? Or marriages? Or friendships? Or or churches? But as a wise man once told me, uh, a very wise man that I considered one of my mentors, one of the first things, nuggets of truth that he, that, he, that he told me was, the more people you have, the more problems you have. And so whenever you're 30 people large, you don't have that many problems. You just have 30 of them. When you're 100, you have 100 problems. And when you're 1,000, you've got 1,000 problems. <laughs> Or a thousand potential problems. Now, I don't mean to say that people are problems, but people bring problems. I bring my problems. And most of the time, we bring them to the altar, and we let the Lord take care of them. And, you know, this is why when I pastored, I I never counseled anybody before church. Because the altar takes care of about 90% of what's ailing people most of the time. At least in my experiences. Uh, But when Israel was in the wilderness... God gave them the law. Now, Scripture calls it, in many places, the law of Moses. Now, in, many, in other words, it was Moses' teaching. And that law is really divided up into three distinct categories. First of all, there was the moral law. Everybody say moral law. And this is where a lot of people get confused and mixed up because they look at verses like Deuteronomy 22 and 5, which talks about you know, wearing apparel of the opposite sex is an abomination to God. And they will say things like, well, that's under the law of Moses, and that was fulfilled, and that's true. But remember, the law was divided up into three categories. And the first category was the moral law of God. And these are things that directly impact the nature of God. Now, there were things that did not impact the nature of God. For example, you know, don't muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. As the ox was treading uh, the cornfield, you were not allowed to put a muzzle on that ox. Because as he's plowing, he could partake of, of, of the corn. He could stop and eat. And so that was the law. Now, God, God was only concerned about the beast, but it didn't impact his moral character. But yet, that was still part of the, of the law of Moses. But yet, we look at things like the Ten Commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. And don't, uh, don't lie. You know, and you could go through all the Ten Commandments. We would say, well, those things still apply, even though they were under the law of Moses. They were established under the law of Moses. Because we understand that that's, although you may not have been able to explain it like this, but you've always understood that that pertains to the moral 
character of God. And so then there was the ceremonial law. And those things pertained to offerings and sacrifices and how they would approach worship. Okay? So this was, you know, things that pertained to, you know, sin offerings and peace offerings uh, and other types of offerings that they offered all under the law of Moses. They were ceremonial in nature. And then there was the civil law. And the civil law was laws that would govern them for the most part when they would come into the land of Canaan. And things that impacted how they treated each other, including conflict resolution. Now, whenever Israel was in the wilderness, you know, they needed that. You know, they fought battles in the wilderness, but nearly all of their battles were fought externally. In other words, they involved external enemies. And so that because the nature of that wilderness journey brought them closer together. Now that's what happens when you live in a tiny house. You get real close. But the more territory you have, there lies the possibility that, you know, your kids, you may never see them for a couple of days. Your house is big enough. You may not see them anyway. They just go lock themselves in their rooms. But, you know, so this was the idea was that they camped out together for 40 years. Now, if you go on a men's camping trip for two nights, you bond with the guys that you're camping with. But imagine camping with them for 40 years. Dear God, help us. No ladies around. God, help us all. So once they came into the land of Canaan and they settled there, many of the battles that they fought once they were in Canaan and once, that is, once they settled in, once they took their territory and once they were settled in and had peace, most of the battles that they fought were from within. Uh, so whenever they went to war with the tribe of Benjamin, for example, you might remember that story in the book of Judges. And when Israel split up, into two different kingdoms after Solomon's reign. When Rehoboam reigned, it was Rehoboam and, and, and uh, Jeroboam. So, so there were two separate kings. One got two tribes and, and the other one got ten tribes. And in just reading through the book of Judges, you can see lots of divisions and interfightings in Israel. But it was not that way when they were in the wilderness. When they were still striving and trying to get there, and they had one mindset, all of them together, and that was to survive as much as we can this wilderness journey without killing each other and to make sure that, that we stay strong as much as we can. Now, that is the nature of when, whenever you are working together towards one common goal. It brings the whole team together. Okay, and so in the same manner, when you're small as a church, that is, you know, 50 or less than 100, there are mostly very few conflicts because that's the nature of the wilderness journey. Are you with me tonight? But as we grow, guess what? We get more problems. And suddenly... 
you know, the problems seem to get bigger. And, and it's not necessarily so much that Satan is attacking us. It's just that just as Israel, when they moved into their promised land, and now God had given them 38 or 40 years earlier laws that would govern them once they came into that land. So God has already given us principles in his word that are to govern when conflict arises. But this is the church. You know, we're spirit-filled, yes. But there will still be conflicts internally. Chalk it up, it's going to happen. I don't care how much you talk in tongues. I don't care how much you read your Bible. You will be offended. Jesus himself said it. I mean, Jesus himself said offenses will come. So, you know, from, from, from 1 Corinthians 12, he said this, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether they be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. There ever was an argument over whether or not the baptism of the Holy Spirit is essential. This ought to put the whole argument to rest, this verse right here. Because according to this verse, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what places you into the body of Christ. Now, if you have not had that baptism with or into the Holy Spirit, then you might be part of a church, but you are not in the body of Christ yet. So first and foremost, God places us in his body. Now, that's, that's not referencing this local body. It's referencing the body of Christ. So when you're baptized into the Holy Ghost, God places you into his body. And he puts gifts inside of you. And he expects those gifts to be used for his kingdom. But it can also be said that that baptism you know, places us into a local assembly as well. And so I believe that God has strategically placed all of you in this local assembly. That we think that we choose our church. And we think that we choose it based on how many programs are available for the kids and this and that. And, and sometimes that's how people would choose churches. And I guess that's fine. But God has placed you here in this local assembly. And if we're spirit led, then we will go where God sends us. He hasn't placed you here to just sit and be a spectator or for entertainment. He's placed you here for a reason and to fulfill a purpose. You might, you might think, well, I can't preach, I can't do this. There might be many things you can't do. Join the club. <laughs> Moses couldn't speak. He stuttered. And yet he was God's spokesman before the whole world at that point. And still speaks today through what he wrote down. But God has given gifts into you and abilities. He's placed you here, from what I can see scripturally, for two reasons. Number one, to be brought into spiritual maturity as you grow in Christ. And that is to learn to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is a lifetime journey. If you're waiting until a certain time when I learn to be a really good disciple... Then I'll get involved. You know what? You're, it's never going to happen until you get to heaven. You're never going to reach a place of perfection. Now, the Bible does talk about a place of, of spiritual maturity. 
Okay, that's what we're striving to reach to be at that full-grown age that the writer of Hebrews talked about. But we're striving to enter into a place of spiritual maturity. And that's what part of what this local assembly is here to help you with. Secondly, and that is to for God has placed you into his kingdom and into here in order that you could be a blessing to the kingdom of God with talents and gifts that God has given you and to make disciples. You are here for a reason. So I say all of that to, to make this one simple statement. If God has placed you here, then only God should be the one to pluck you up and move you anywhere else. And so there are rules of conflict and resolution. The first one is this. I have several here. The first one is walk in love. From Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. And hath given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling Savior. Now that's easier said than done, isn't it? We talk about walking in love. But if, if you are entering a season where you're angry and offended, you're not walking in love. You're walking in offense. Perfect love casts out everything, including fear. And the Bible talks about fear because fear is like the opposite of love. <clears throat> fear has torment, as does offense. And uh, all, most negative emotions have fear as their basis. They work and stem from a spirit of fear. But God hath not given us the spirit of fear. He's given us the spirit of, of love and power and sound mind. He's given us all of those things. So I saw something, I guess it was about a week ago. And I, I didn't really think it was true, so I tried it, and it, it was true. And it was this uh, three-by-five piece of cardboard. And on this, uh, on this cardboard, it had two black dots. And the instructions were to take the cardboard and, and to close one eye and to move the cardboard and, and, and look at one dot, either the left or the right one, and then move it closer to your eyes. And the closer that it comes to your eyes, and as you keep your eye on one dot, the other dot will suddenly disappear. You're not seeing it in your peripheral vision anymore. But your brain does an interesting thing. Because and it happens just like that. Your brain says, wait, I can't see the dot anymore, so I'm going to fill in the gap. And what your brain does is it fills in the gap with whatever is the backdrop of that image. In this case, it was just white. So instead of that dot, I saw white. And it was as if there was only one dot there, even though the facts were that there was two dots. Now, our brain is wired like that <clears throat> to fill in the details when we don't know them. We tell ourselves stories and we fill in the gap sometimes about what others are going through and why they respond to things. Whenever somebody says a certain way, or sorry, whenever somebody says something a certain way towards you and it seems like it's offensive or cutting or something happens to you that might be offensive, our brains are wired so that we fill in the gaps with the facts that we don't know, and we tell ourselves stories because we hate not knowing everything. So we fill in the gaps. Somebody passed you up, and the other, this is a stupid example. Somebody passed you up and didn't shake your hand. We fill in the gap. Well, they must be angry at me, or they must think that they're better than me. 
even though that could, that could be the polar opposite. It's probably not even anywhere near the truth. The truth is probably they've got to go to the bathroom really bad. Because they just drank a big bunch of water right before church. And they're making a, a high tails right towards the bathroom. It might be something as simple as that. But we tell ourselves stories. And this is one of the main reasons why there is offense and conflict in the church. And not just in the church, but anywhere. Because our dumb brains fill in the gaps. But look at what 1 Corinthians 13 and 5 says. Again, talking about love. Love does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not tell itself stories about what other people are doing or why they responded to things. And love does not tend to believe that juicy piece of gossip that they heard that's negative about somebody else. Because the nature of love is to not presume evil about anyone else, especially when you don't know all the facts, as we rarely do. And so the second principle of conflict resolution is this. Love has to be tough. If you're walking in love, love also has to be tough. Now, love isn't for wimps. I told Noah, you know, kind of a jest. He's getting married next weekend. If you didn't know, you know now. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. Birthday and he's getting married. It's a big week for him. I told him the first couple of years of marriage are easy because you're not, you know, she's not tired of picking up your dirty socks anymore yet. She hasn't, you know, it doesn't bother her. It's just everything is wonderful. He's so wonderful. Everything he does, even his dirty socks smell good. You're in the honeymoon. That's what we call the honeymoon phase. But just give it 10 or 20 years. <laughs> and after she's picked up your dirty socks the 500th time, three inches from the clothes basket, by the way, she doesn't throw them in the basket. She throws them at you. <laughs> Love has to be tough. And really, it's true. You know, I, you know, you know people say, you know, we used to say, well, how could people have been married for 30 years? And, and, and divorce. This is why. Because they get tired of putting up with each other's junk. And you know, after a while, people don't run out of love. They run out of forgiveness. They don't fall out of love with people. They just, they just get tired of it. And, and instead of unloading and forgiving, they just let it pile up. So love is not for wimps. The relationship with your brother or sister in Christ or spouse or child or parent or whoever it is, is worth fighting for. The ties that bind us are greater than the ties that divide us. We are not a team. We are a body. We are members of the body of Jesus Christ. We don't put each other down. We don't criticize each other. We don't gossip about each other because we are the body. And when I put somebody else down, I'm putting myself down because he's a part of the same body of Christ that I'm a part of. When you talk about one of us, you talk about all of us. Thirdly, love overlooks faults and is patient even when it's not vindicated. Because the true nature of love is goodwill towards that person. If you are going to get along with anybody, you have to learn to overlook some of their faults. And this really kind of goes back to love must be tough. 
you got to be tough enough to love somebody when they're unlovable. You ever raise teenagers and you have what me and Tanya call porcupine moments? And if you have teenagers, then you know what I'm talking about. And it, it's true no matter how great they are or how great they're not. It, it's just that they're teenagers. They're not, they're, their brains aren't fully developed. They have brain damage still. <laughs> so you don't get angry with somebody that has brain damage. You just kind of pity them. God bless them. And it's going to be a while before their, their brains work properly. <laughs> If you're going to get along with anybody, you have to learn to overlook their faults. Like that crazy uncle or relative that you don't like. You know, like that aunt that makes, uh, you know, something awful that nobody eats at Thanksgiving. And she takes it home, but you're kind enough to get a little slice of it and choke it down. Why? Because they're family. Love overlooks faults. We may not all be perfect, but we're family. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between you and him. Alone. Everybody say alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, and that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Now watch what he says. This is very important. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you will bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now he's still talking about binding and loosing. Now again I say unto you that if two or three you shall agree. Everybody say agree. On earth. As touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done of them, of my Father which is in heaven. Jesus first spoke about resolving conflicts. And then he spoke about binding and loosing. And finally in verse 19, answered prayers depend on unity and agreement among the body. Why does Satan attack unity in the church because it impacts spiritual authority. And that is why, before he could ever talk about binding and loosing, laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover, and great many multitudes receiving the Holy Ghost, he said, You gotta stop and you gotta get agreement right first. Because when you join hands with your brother or sister, there has to be a spiritual unity because that's how agreement flows through. And this is true in a household as well. If there's disunity in a household, there can be no spiritual authority, even by the husband. You might think, I walk with God. Yeah, but you got to get your home right first. You got to make sure people are at least getting along. If they're not getting along, you better get up in the morning and pray and start fasting and start believing God because that will impact spiritual authority every time. Don't think that you have any real authority spiritually if you're walking in offense because offense robs you of authority and it robs you of power in the spirit. And the next one, please, and the next rule of conflict, don't be a big baby sissy little girl about every tiny little thing. 
Now, if you were deeply and seriously wounded in the church or by a spouse or a partner or a child or an uncle or whatever it was, I am not talking to you. But if you are one of those easily offended people, you just need to toughen up. Because if you don't toughen up, you'll be a spiritual gypsy. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. Now say you can say you come to church and hear Willie Nelson sing. I don't sound quite like him, but that's how a lot of people are. As soon as they get offended, they're on the road again. Looking for that next church on the road again. They're spiritual gypsies. They've got no stick They're always on the lookout for somewhere else. Always looking to see what program somebody else has to offer. 2 Timothy, now the Bible does not say, Thou shalt not be a big baby sissy little girl about everything. But it does say this, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Let me remind you that God called you to be a soldier, a warrior of the cross. You know, Navy SEAL training is really difficult. And that's why only 1% of the people, less than 1%, that even go through that program ever actually succeed in becoming a Navy SEAL. All SEALs must go through the 24-week basic underwater demolition SEAL school that has a 28-week SEAL qualification training program. Only 1% of those who enter that program or school complete it, less than 1%. And that's not the end of their training even then. The training for a first deployment can take as much as 30 months. Training is 90% mental. And towards the end, they have what they call hell week. Five days of constant training with only a few hours of sleep per night. Sleep deprivation. Common hell week training includes, among many other things, but here's just a few things. Standing in cold water up to the waist. Standing on the beach wet in cold weather, freezing cold weather, waiting for the next instruction. Sometimes it will be hours or days. Only, only about 1% of those who enter that basic underwater training ever complete it. And that doesn't mean that they will become SEALs. Because instructors constantly remind those trainees that they can quit at any time. Dropping out is called ringing the bell. But Navy SEALs go through that training because they're called upon for the toughest of jobs. They are called upon in the midnight hour to get up when everybody else is sleeping, fly halfway across the world, swim two miles in 38 degree temperature water, and climb up a mountain that, that might be literally straight up and, and perform a task that most people on planet earth would not even be able to dream of doing. God only calls soldiers who have been prepared for battle and true soldiers and have been proven that they can endure hard hardships like a soldier. And so this is where God wants to lead you, but if you are constantly offended and always looking for a way out and have that gypsy spirit, you will never be the soldier God has called you to be. 
Confrontation must be done in humility with reconciliation as the goal. If they can't confront in love, wait until you can. That might mean waiting a few days or a few weeks. If you're angry, then wait before you confront. Because you will communicate with your spirit and you must seek God for a pure spirit first as best as you can. All confrontations require love so that the person that you're confronting can metabolize the truth without feeling hated, bad, or defensive. Now, this is true. If I'm confronting somebody about something that they did, and I'm talking like this, and I'm saying, why did you do that? And blah, blah, blah. And now it's an argument. And nothing gets accomplished through arguing. Except for more anger, more heated anger. And this is true in a marriage as well. Um, you know, sometimes relationships do require confrontation. And so when you confront, assign to them good intentions and don't presume that they willfully were trying to hurt you or that they willfully did something intentionally wrong. Now, you might be way off base, but again, it goes back to love thinks no evil. Love doesn't assume that, that they had all these bad intentions because you know what? If, if you assume and you assign bad intentions and it turns out after you know all the facts that that they didn't intend anything bad at all. It was completely the opposite. You are going to make yourself look really bad in front of them. And whether you realize it or not, you're going to lose ground with them on how they view you. But if you assign to them good intentions, and if you say this is how it is, then it opens the door for them to be more open and not defensive. And now they're, now they're talking about what really happened because they feel safe in telling you that you're not going to judge them. Now, that's our confrontation happen. Go to them before you go to others, and especially church leadership. Now, I know when you bleed, you want to bleed on somebody. But sometimes you need to bleed on Jesus and nobody else. You know, we need to be like that old song, you know, Jesus on the main line, tell him what you want. <laughs> you know, the, 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 we used to sing a song called Royal Telephone. Anybody remember that Royal Telephone song? I used to love that song, but man, you talk about songs that technology has just kicked out the window. Central always busy, or Central's never busy. How does it go? Something like that. Anyway, if, if, if we sang that song today, our, our kids would think we had fallen out of a tree. <laughs> what Central? Royal Telephone. Okay. It's a little detour there. Remember that the true nature of love is to be blind to bad intentions. It always pays to see the good in people. Next is go to them before you go to others. I've already said that. It's, it's especially church leadership. So don't run directly to somebody else or to your neighbor or to the pastor and say, this is what they did to me. Uh, if, if it hurts bad enough that you cannot just you know, forgive. And a lot of things, like I've already covered, just needs to be forgiven. Like most of what happens to us can be just wiped away and washed away. And if you're able to forgive it, you should do that. But, but if you're to the point where, where it's, it's happening over and over again or you just can't get it out, then, then you need to go to God first and, and let the Lord help you with that to resolve as much as you can in prayer and then go to that person and then resolve it. As, as, again, as best as you can. Don't run to the pastor first. Don't run to 90 other people. Now, so don't discuss your hurt with others. Now, the exception is, the exception is, unless it's with a trusted spiritual counselor or friend because the hurt is deep. And the spirit of that should not be in gossip. It should be 
I need help, I need assistance, and it should be with somebody that you trust and that you know is truly can hear from God. Now, sometimes that is the pastor, and if you're going to them in that kind of spirit, then it would, it would be appropriate. Um, as long as, you know, you've done what you can to resolve it. In most situations, as I said, reconciliation will happen with a simple conversation. But in unresolved cases, get leadership involved if the issue is large enough. True story here. In 1714, a Norwegian captain and an English captain had a 14-hour long ship battle. Afterwards, both ships were badly damaged, and the Norwegian captain was running out of ammunition. So instead of just exiting the battle, he sent an envoy to the English ship asking if he could borrow some more ammunition. <laughs> Give us some cannonballs. We'll send it back in a few minutes. Needless to say, they said no. Now, that is a true story. <laughs> That's a funny story, but in real life, it doesn't usually happen that way. When one party runs out of ammunition, they get tired of fighting and they simply walk away and become emotionally distant. It happens in marriages, friendships, and it happens in the church. We split from people that drain us of energy and we always fight with. And oftentimes the other party is left gloating that they got the last word or that they won the battle. And you may have won the battle, but you, my friend, lost the war. Because you lost a friend, you lost a brother. You lost a sister, a spouse, a son, a daughter, etc., and nobody ever wins that. More marriages are destroyed, not from adultery, not from physical abuse, but from simple quarreling and fighting than adultery or abuse ever will. More marriages and relationships have been killed over quarreling and fighting and unresolved conflicts, and most of the conflicts are over simple, tiny, small things that don't amount to a hill of beans. Here's a good example. The Hatfields and McCoys, you've heard of them, had a long history of fighting from 1863 until 1973, over 100 years when they officially shook hands. But even then, they didn't enter an official truce until June 14th of 2003. Dozens of people died. Many of them were sons, daughters, and dozens of people spent in their entire life in prison over what appears to have stemmed out from a feud over a pig. I know of a, I know of a married couple years ago. I'm thinking of them right now, and they, they don't go to this church, but, but this one particular church, they were married for many years. They, they had amazing kids. And as a matter of fact, their, their kids also went to this church, but they got divorced. I don't know what the reasons were, but they sat on opposite sides of the church for over 25 years and never spoke a single word to each other. And unresolved conflicts. Well, the person that you walked down the aisle with, that you said, I want to spend the rest of my life with this person, how do you reach a point where you literally are willing to never, ever, ever even speak a word to that person? Unresolved conflict. That's forgiveness. Remember whenever the Bible says, don't let the sun go down in your wrath? This is what it's talking about. Now, it doesn't mean don't go to sleep in your anger. Sometimes you need to sleep when you're, when you're angry. You're tired. I don't like to talk about things when I, it, I'm so out of my mind I can't even think straight. But what I, I think what that verse means is that don't, don't let it fester for a long period of time. Get rid of it somehow. 
as quickly as you can. It's like a hot potato. The longer you hold it, the more it's going to burn you. And at some point, you stop feeling the burn. But you're still being burned. But it's because your nerves aren't working anymore. And so, so that's what happens. False doctrine likely will never kill this church with God's help. Some churches fall to adultery and leadership. And many other reasons. But the chances of us falling because of conflict and division are far greater than for any other reason. The, the, the likelihood of us never reaching our full potential in God because of unresolved conflict and things that we did not resolve. And as a result, God could not trust us with spiritual authority to bind and to loose are far greater than any other reason. And, and the thing about it is, you know, the, uh, the less we're willing to work on this as, a, as family units, as a church, as a body, as friends, as brothers and sisters, the longer our wilderness journey will last. We fail God when we fail each other. Because his mission and his purpose depends on unity of the spirit. And if we don't have unity, we cannot be a healthy body. And if we are not a healthy body, we cannot reach a hurting world. Musicians come. Let's stand. In 2 Samuel chapter 18, I want to read this verse in, in closing. So the people went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was in the wood of Ephraim, where the people of Israel were slain before the servants of David. Now watch, watch what happens here. And there was a great slaughter that day of 20,000 men. For the battle was there scattered over all the face of the country. And then watch what happens. And the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. The woods devoured more people that day than the sword of the enemy. What killed them in battle? These were soldiers from the time that they were small, trained to fight. But they weren't trained to fight the woods. They weren't trained to fight the bears, the lions, you know, the trees, whatever was out there, the hunger, the starvation, whatever was out there. They weren't trained to fight that. Not the soldiers of the opposing army killed them, but the woods. They were simply lost in the woods. And we can get lost in the woods and die a spiritual death from little things and forget that there's an enemy out there who uses the territory to his advantage. Because as long as we are in this world, we are on his territory. He is the prince of the power of the air. Now it's true that we have authority and power in the spirit but it's also equally true that there is still a devil in this world. And there is still an enemy. And if we start thinking that our brother is the enemy, and I don't like that person, or your spouse is the enemy, or, or, or your friend is, whatever, you're getting lost in the woods over little things, and, and it will kill you spiritually. More people backslide because of the woods than ever died in the battlefield battling the real enemy. That's the trick of the enemy. But we do have an enemy, and it is not each other. We are a family. We are a family first. Let's lift our hands to heaven right now. I just feel the Holy Spirit. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. 
Lord, I just want you to baptize us with the spirit of love for our brothers and sisters, God. I want you to baptize marriages in this place, God, with the love for each other, Lord. Amen. Lord, baptize parents towards children and children towards parents, God. In Jesus' name right now, I want you to just come and just find a place to pray and talk to God. Would you do that with me for just a few moments? Let God talk to you and minister to your heart. Lord, cleanse us. Give us a pure heart, God. Let us walk in love. If there's a conversation that needs to happen, help us to do it in love, God, and in humility, God. And let us not get lost in the woods. In Jesus' name.